This is the BBC. It's one of the finest British song cycles, On Wenlock Edge, written by Ray Fawn Williams in 1906, when the poems of A.E. Houseman's A Shropshire Lad were still new, published just a decade earlier. Houseman's Lad was meant to appeal to young men, a pastoral lament for the passing of youthful idealism and the travails of love. No wonder many compact editions were to be found in the pockets of young men in the trenches of the First World War. Vaughan Williams took just five of Houseman's 63 poems and set them for tenor, piano and string quartet, orchestrating them later, as we'll hear. I'm Andrew McGregor, presenter of Record Review on BBC Radio 3, and for this podcast edition of Building a Library, reviewer David Owen Norris compares recordings, chamber and orchestral, of Vaughan Williams's On Wenlock Edge, going back as far as the song cycle's first interpreter, recorded over a century ago. But we're beginning somewhere much more recent. The Summer Shimmer of Breeden Hill, from the song cycle On Winlock Edge by Rafe Vaughan Williams, completed in 1909, a long way from the raging storm that opens the piece. Jacqueline Shave leading members of the Britain Symphonia with Mark Padmore on Harmonia Mundi. A piano quintet is still an unusual accompaniment for a tenor, and that's not the only path where RVW remains a lonely pioneer. This was only the second Shropshire Lad cycle. A.E. Houseman published his poems in 1896, and in 1904 Sir Arthur Somerville wrote his lovely cycle for baritone and piano. Like most Houseman settings, that mainly follows the trials and tribulations of the lad himself. Vaughan Williams is more interested in relationships, appropriately enough for a chamber music piece. This title poem gives us a rare glimpse of Houseman the Classics Don. The lad compares his rural troubles with those of an unknown Roman living 2,000 years before in the fourth largest city in Britain, Uricon, about the same size as Pompeii, which just happened to stand in the now empty shadow of Wenlock Edge. Houseman's take on Shelley's Ozymandias, perhaps. Wonderfully, we can hear the piece from the great artist who gave the very first performance, Gervais Elwis, who recorded it 101 years ago with the Premier's pianist Frederick Kiddle and the London String Quartet led by Albert Sammons. (laughs) 
Gervais Elvis making sure we can hear the words. A remarkable window into the past. Albert Salmon's tearing off those windy gusts just like Jacqueline Shave. An opal remastering. The swirling accompaniment with its clash between A-flat and G obscures the fact that the voice is purely pentatonic until the end of the verse. It's a great line for a singer to establish his vocal authority. A regrettable forgotten accidental in the piano part just there, but Andrew Kennedy sweeps away the annoyance. On Signum. In 1924, Vaughan Williams orchestrated the piece. Here's the CBSO under Sir Simon Rattle with Robert Tear kicking up a terrific storm. nobility of diction from Robert Tear on EMI. Vaughan Williams sticks with his pentatonic until the third verse takes us back to see the Roman staring at the same heaving hill. Now, for the past, twas before my time, Vaughan Williams produces some of the French polish he had just acquired from his lessons with Maurice Ravel, who said he was his only pupil that didn't write Ravel. Folksy pentatonic for the present, whole tone scales for the past. Tis the old wind in the old anger, but then it rests another wood. Then twas before my time, the Roman at yonder hill. The blood that warms an English yeoman, the thoughts that hurt him, they were there. 
James Gilchrist, Anna Tilbrook and the Fitzwilliam String Quartet on Lynn. Gilchrist has an interesting way with consonants, perfectly clear but recognisably contemporary, softer L's and G's, for instance. Voices are very personal things. Britain liked the sound of Peter Pears's voice because it reminded him of his mother, apparently. They recorded the piece with the Zorian Quartet in 1945, the year of Peter Grimes. Let's hear Vaughan Williams' splendid string effect, Sul Ponticello, playing near the bridge to conjure up the dying storm. And listen to the pent-up energy in Britain's quiet playing, the swirls, the tremolandos, and especially the last two notes. No other recording gives them that character. The grail, it plies the sapling's double, it blows so hard, it will soon be gone. Today the Roman and his trouble are ashes under you. Britain and Peers on Pearl. After a similitude spanning 2,000 years, Vaughan Williams chooses an urgent relationship in the here and now, though it starts calmly enough with the twelve-winded sky, the winds again, blowing the stuff of life together. Here's the American tenor George Moran, a protégé of Britain, with the celebrated Ivor Newton in 1955. Ivan Newton is the only pianist who does not reach the top of his arpeggios on the beat with the singer. From afar, from eve and morning And Sky, the stuff of life to knit me blue hither. Here am I. George Moran and Ivor Newton on the alto label. Good, honest singing, but I find that unique arpeggio mannerism of Newton's slightly disturbing. I had the luck to spend a day at Leith Hill Place, where Vaughan Williams spent his boyhood, playing the little upright piano which he composed on Wenlock Edge. Its tiny, straight-strung frame clothed chords with so little compelling resonance that one's imagination was left perfectly free to choose the next chord. By the end of the day, it had taught me to improvise exactly that sort of chord progression, and it's marvellous to think of Vaughan Williams's fingers finding that music, just as Ravel had recommended. The strings take over as the lad asks for his companion's hand. 
Here's Ian Partridge with all the solemn beauty you could wish for and listen to how he sings the letter R. From far, from even morning And yon twelve-winded sky The staff of life to David Parkhouse spreading the chords in the usual manner with the rest of the music group of London back in 1970, which explains Ian Partridge's most delicate halfway house between Gervais Elvis's R's and the speech of today. Twenty years after that, the R's have more or less disappeared. Adrian Thompson sings his question beautifully. How shall I help you say... Adrian Thompson floating his endless way with Ian Burnside and the Delmy Quartet. Now Vaughan Williams chooses a poem that combines and reverses the perspectives of the first two songs. The dead, but the recently dead, interrogating the living. Is my team ploughing? This was the song that Houseman and Vaughan Williams fell out over. Vaughan Williams omitted the verses about football that inspired Roger McGough's wicked parody of the poem, much better without them. In this macabre dialogue between two friends, the orchestral version magically colours the dead friend's music with French horns. (laughs) 
one of several singers who distinguished the voices of the dialogue by making the living friend rougher, by taking some expressive liberties with the pitch, sliding about on words like horses or sliding up on now. Anthony Rolfe Johnson makes the distinction in purely vocal terms. Anthony Rolfe Johnson, with Graham Johnson and the Duke Quartet on Naxos in 1996. That dead man's voice makes the hair stand up at the nape of my neck. Richard Edgar Wilson takes a similar approach, brilliantly assisted by James Lisney and the Cool Quartet, whose non-vibrato introduction makes it impossible to regret the absence of those French horns. Edgar Wilson introduces great psychological subtlety. Listen to the hint of scornful triumph in the words, You used to plough. I was 
Richard Edgar Wilson on Somme. Peter Pears bravely presents an etiolated dead man's voice, whose vowels are noticeably narrower than his friend's. Is my girl happy? Now the question the living friend has been dreading. How's he doing? There's a controversial bit of syntax here. Houseman writes, Has he found to sleep in a better bed than mine? Several singers inexplicably put a comma after sleep. The golden-voiced Steve Davislim, for instance. Benjamin Martin and the Hamer String Quartet, accompanying Steve Davislim, who seems to believe that has he found to sleep? Makes sense. I cheer a dead man's sweetheart. That climax can be much more terrifying than that. John Mark Ainsley and the Nash Ensemble on Hyperion. The horror of Never Ask Me Who's really comes home there. 
After that genuinely tragic utterance of a relationship broken by death, with its undertone of betrayal, we turn to a happy release in the next song, Oh, When I Was In Love With You. Mark Padmore is coquettishly off the note as he works to put across the humour. Do I even detect a trace of a Shropshire accent? Oh, when I was in love with you, then I was clean and brave. And miles along the wonder through how well did I behave. And now the fancy passes by and nothing will remain. And miles around they'll say that I am quite myself again. Ian Partridge prefers to be coquettish, if at all, only in his consonants, and his clearer pitch reveals Vaughan Williams's harmonic subtleties. Oh, when I was in love with you, then I was clean and brave, and miles around a wonder grew, how well did I behave? And now the fancy passes by, and nothing Miles around, they'll say that I am quite myself again. Now, the heart of the cycle. Another broken relationship, and one bitterly regretted. We start by gazing through the summer haze from the very top of Breeden Hill. Here's Bernard Heitink and the LPO.
Ian Bostridge and Heitink on EMI. Seems just under the note from time to time to my ear. Breeden Hill presents the singer with an interesting interpretative problem. He's telling us the story because of its tragic outcome. But the music starts with happy summer sounds and saves the bitter winter till later. So, should the singer know how the story turns out from the very beginning, or should he mirror the mood of the accompaniment? It's the difference between song and opera. Let's hear again from George Moran, who created the role of Lysander in Britain's Midsummer Night's Dream, recorded in 1955, so expect to hear something of the letter R. sad, vulnerable vocal tone tells us that Moran, the operatic artist looking back in time in character, already knows the end of the story. Richard Edgar Wilson is content to allow the changing pictures in the music to build up gradually to an edifice that requires a retrospective intellectual understanding. This allows him to indulge in some exceptionally beautiful singing on the way. Richard Edgar Wilson luxuriating on Breeden Hill with the harmonically alert backing of James Lisney and the cool. 
Rolf Johnson is one of those who knows how it ends before he starts, but he finds a compensating beauty in the wistful recollection of past happiness. And I would turn and answer among the springtime Who peer upon our Bleak midwinter in the voice, leading to the tolling of the passing bell. John Mark Ainsley, gradually realising that his love is dead. The summer music returns. The poignant irony moves the Shropshire lad to an outburst. The bells they sound on Breeden And still the steeples I feel you, I 
Ian Bostridge, with a hint of operatic shouting. At this climax, Vaughan Williams invents a new technique to show emotional dislocation. He writes, The voice part to be sung quite freely, irrespective of the accompaniment, provided that the end of the voice part comes before the tempo a la prima. Benjamin Britten made the idea his own when he invented the curlew mark to indicate the same thing. He probably found it here first. Alexander Young waits to allow us to hear the full clamour of the bells, ending just in time. Alexander Young with Gordon Watson and the Sebastian String Quartet on Argo. Lovely singing, but not very well recorded. That was a real Vaughan Williams fingerprint you heard at the end. La da da da. Best known as the beginning of For All the Saints, but also present in the Abinger Hammer pageant music and at the very beginning of this cycle. Da 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 da. The final words of the song are sung on a numbed monotone. Andrew Kennedy puts just enough soft steel into the voice to prepare us for the dogged philosophy of the final song. What have we heard? Several old recordings with some scratch. Elvis well worth listening to, even though the fifth song is abbreviated to fit the technology of the time. Piers always worth listening to, in my view. Moran and Young offer less to counterbalance the poor recorded sound. The earliest version with good sound is Ian Partridge, a box of delights if ever there was one, though the music group of London don't do storms very well. Adrian Thompson sings very beautifully, as does Steve Davislim, but neither delve into the psychological depths. Mark Padmore has recorded the piece twice. His recent recording with the Britain Sinfonia is by far the better of the two. He experiments quite boldly with contemporary diction, but not as convincingly as James Gilchrist does. The orchestral versions are interesting. Rattle, much more imaginative than Heitink, and Tear, much more deeply committed than Bostridge, so my orchestral recommendation is easy.
Rolf Johnson is even more committed than Tyr, while Richard Edgar Wilson, Andrew Kennedy, James Gilchrist and John Mark Ainsley all present superb performances. In the last song, Clun, Ainsley's Nash Ensemble really understand the haunting opening phrase's weary persistence. The Fitzwilliams have a less dogged start, and then James Gilchrist's speed lightens too much the melodic weight of this idyll of rivers. and James Lisney give Richard Edgar Wilson a competitive edge even beyond his own merits. My bridge is the Thames runs under in London the town built in. Tis sure small matter for wonder if sorrow is with one's And if as a land grows Anthony Rolf Johnson raises this last song to its true tragic height as he rejects both London and Knighton. Unfortunately, the Duke Quartet completely ignore Vaughan Williams' instructions to hurry a little there, and their opening storm wasn't the strongest. The relationships in this poem have been with places, with beautiful Knighton and ill-built London, with the River Thames and the River Teem. Houseman's lad knows he must look further than that, but with a pagan fatalism, he dismisses Doomsday with the comment, Little twill matter to one. Vaughan Williams sets that significant but awkward last word, one, P, 
perfectly, by the way. And then he shows us that doomsday will matter to him, an early manifestation of what was to become one of Vaughan Williams's constant preoccupations, the celestial city. Andrew Kennedy practically turns himself into a baritone to convey the right effect. His vocal quality and psychological understanding inform every song. His diction is always clear, but not old-fashioned. You'll hear him sing further than Knighton. Although he, or perhaps his editor, makes a tiny muddle in the very last vocal phrase. The Dante Quartet hurry where Vaughan Williams wants them to. And in a difficult choice, Andrew Kennedy is my ultimate recommendation, supplemented orchestrally by Robert Tier and historically by Peter Piers. Here's Andrew Kennedy's Celestial City. Where shall one halt to Tens, not team is a river. Clune, the last Houseman poem in Vaughan Williams's song cycle On Wenlock Edge, and the voice of tenor Andrew Kennedy with pianist Simon Crawford Phillips and the Dante Quartet. Not perfect, perhaps, but for all the reasons reviewer David Owen Norris gave us, it's his overall Building a Library recommendation, and you'll find it on Signum Classics. Norris's orchestral favourite is Robert Tier with Simon Rattle and the CBSO on Warner Classics, and you'll find full details on the Record Review website. You've been listening to a podcast edition of Building a Library. Next week, we enter the magical but rather disturbing world of Maurice Ravel's one-act opera L'Enfant et les Sortilèges, The Child and the Spells. Anna Picard compares recordings as she tries to find which one's best conjure a badly behaved boy besieged by the household objects he's broken and the animals he's tormented. You can listen live if you join me for Record Reviews, Saturday mornings from 9 on BBC Radio 3, 90 to 93 FM online and on digital radio. This is a download from the BBC. For more information and for terms of use, go to bbc.co.uk slash radio 3.